Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. I guess before I get started, I've had people looking at me, I've had people asking me, why you still got the sling on? Well, I haven't been to the doctor. Tomorrow I go to the doctor. So um, I'm hoping that tomorrow the doctor tells me to lose this thing, and by this thing, I just mean the sling, not the arm. I've gotten, I've gotten pretty good at not using it over the last six weeks, but I would really like to start using it again. So I'm kind of, I'm hoping they say get rid of that and start physical therapy and I can figure out what real pain is for a little bit. So anyway, happy to have all of you here this morning. This is the last, can you believe this is the last Sunday before Christmas? Man, we've only got like one more Sunday before it's 2016. Where's the time gone? Away, that's where. Simple answer, away. So I want to uh, talk this morning. I'm going to take a little bit different approach. The title of my message this morning is Unsung Heroes. Unsung Heroes. Oh, I'll get to that, Judy. Don't worry. Unsung Heroes of Christmas. How many of you watch sports, any kind of sports? What? Well, I, sports, whatever. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, like motorcycle racing, something really cool, something really challenging. Um, but if, if you have to have a, a ball and a whole bunch of people, then, you know, football, baseball, whatever. How many of you, when you watch sports, you realize that there's, there's always, like, the hero of the team? You know, in baseball, it's like the, uh, it's the pitcher. The, I, I've never quite figured, I used to play baseball, and when I say I used to play baseball, what I mean is I was in Little League, okay, but hey, it was baseball back then, that was, you know, baseball hot dogs and apple pie and Chevrolet, uh, but, you know, it's the pitcher, the pitcher gets all the glory, I mean, the pitcher won the game or the pitcher lost the game, you ever notice that? Forget about everybody else, forget about the catcher, forget about, you know, first, second, third base, the shortstop. Forget about, I was an outfielder, okay? And I know some of you are thinking, that's where they put the slow people, is. And it may be, but I tell you what, best seat in the house, because I could sit out there and watch the game, didn't get distracted too much. And then I got to do things that I thought was kind of heroic. You know, when the ball would, on occasion, come out to the outfield, I'd get to pick it up and and I used to have a really good throwing arm. I could throw from the outfield fence right into the catcher. And, but you know what? I was never credited with a win. It's always the pitcher. The pitcher. It doesn't matter if you get a relief pitcher up there. The main pitcher gets the win. yippee ki You go to football, you got the... The quarterback, you know, the quarterback gets the win, or the quarterback is blamed for the loss. But, you know, you got a whole bunch of other guys out there on the field, too. There are 10 other guys, sometimes 11 other guys, and then they throw a flag if they get caught. There's 10 other guys out there that are playing offense and defense. They're going back and forth, and but it always comes down to the hero, and everybody wants to be the hero. Go to motorcycle, something I like, motorcycle racing. The rider is the hero, but you know what? If it weren't for the mechanic, if it weren't for the, think about this, the truck driver, a lot of those guys would never even make it to the race. But we spend so much time focusing on 
the heroes, but sometimes we forget about the unsung heroes of the game. And at Christmas time, we spend a lot of time focusing on the heroes, and rightfully so. I mean, let's not ever, let's not ever forget the true hero of Christmas is Jesus. I mean, he is what it's all about. And, and there's a couple other, you know, big name players got some good airtime. Mary, well-deserved airtime. And, and Joseph, well-deserved airtime. I mean, they did, they did things. They were asked to step out in faith in ways that, that hopefully you and I probably never will be. We talked a little bit about Mary's situation last week and how difficult it would have been for her to go ahead and accept this role that the Lord had for her, you know, in a, in a culture that it was, it was commanded that if a woman shows up pregnant and unwed, she'd be stoned to death. This was, this was serious for her to take that responsibility on. You know, it was pretty big for, for Joseph who loved her so much that he was going to quietly divorce her. You know, I mean, he could have, he could have been mad. He could have, I'm sure he was hurt. I'm sure he was, he was just torn up on the inside knowing that this, this girl that he had uh, promised to marry all of a sudden is pregnant and he has never been with her. I'm sure that that just tore him up. But even in the midst of that, he had such a passion for her, such a love for her that rather than call for her stoning, which he could have, rather than then embarrass her and trash her name, which he could have. He had it in his mind just to send her away quietly, just to divorce her quietly, because he didn't want to hurt her. I mean, that in itself, that, that, what a guy. That's pretty heroic in my book. But then he had the, had the uh, vision or the, the dream, and Gabriel approached him and said, hey, don't worry about this, go ahead and marry her, and this is of God, and, and he stepped up to the plate. What a guy. What a guy. He gets quite a bit of airtime. And the Magi get quite a bit of airtime. But today we're going to talk about some other people that had a really big role that don't get so much airtime. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. But if you do have your Bibles, why don't you take them before you open up to Luke chapter 2 and hold them up. Repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day that you have given us. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. And Lord, I thank you for this time of year that we really focus on the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for this time of year that we stop to consider all that you've done for us. Lord, this morning I pray that your word would come alive as we study it. Lord, that you would challenge and change us. Lord, that you'd be glorified by what's said and what's done. We commit this time now in your precious name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and I'm just going to read a few verses, and then we'll talk about some of these people. I'll go back. I usually will read a whole block, but I don't want to do that this morning. So Luke chapter 2 starts out this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and everyone went to his own town to register. Three verses in, and we run into what I would call our first unsung hero, somebody that really gets very little airtime, very little playtime when it comes to the Christmas narrative, Caesar. Caesar Augustus. We're talking about the ruler of the known world at the time. We're talking about a heavily pagan man. We're talking really about it. I mean, he was, by all historical accounts, he was decent leader, but he was kind of a not, you know, I mean, he murdered his, his, I think it was his brother, and he murdered his uncle, not his uncle, his, he murdered a couple of people, you know, just to kind of keep things. But if you can look beyond that, or let's face it, maybe he wasn't the greatest guy in the world, but he was the ruler of the known world, and he called for a census, the very first census at this time. And in that call for the census, he had this wild idea, I'm going to make everybody go back to the town of their origin. Everybody's going to have to go and register. In the, I don't know where politicians come up with some of the stuff they come up with. Any of you ever confused by politicians and the things that they say? And the th Apparently it's gone on forever. We're going to take a census, and we're going to make everybody register. We're going to make everybody go back to their hometown to register. In doing this, it forced a young man that we've talked about by the name of Joseph to take his pregnant fiance, Mary, from their home in Nazareth some 70 miles 70 miles. Normally it would take about, it would be about a four-day journey if you're not pregnant and, you know, upset. Probably about a four-day journey to walk that if you're in good shape, if things are going well for you. But, you know, Christmas season, traffic gets bad. Census time, traffic gets bad. Attitudes are going through the roof. People cutting each other off. Got to get to, got to get to my hometown. I'm sure it took them a little long. In fact, I'm willing to say that if it weren't for the decree going out, Joseph and Mary probably would not have traveled that 70 miles under those conditions. I'm pretty sure that they would have come up with something else to do for a week, week and a half, two weeks, rather than travel while she's nine months pregnant, getting ready to burst. They could have thought of at least one or two other things that they'd rather be doing. But had they stayed home, had they stayed in Nazareth, you realize that prophecy wouldn't have been fulfilled. It had been prophesied hundreds, maybe a thousand years prior to this that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born in the city of David. God had spoken through his prophets and said there's going to be a Messiah. I mean, way back in Genesis chapter 3, God was talking about saving the world. But then as we move forward through, through Israel's history, God narrows it down and says, hey, yeah, the Messiah is going to come through the Jews. Then he narrows it down even further. He's going to come through David in the line of David. He says, by the way, he's going to be born in the house of David. So somehow the Messiah had to be born there. And what do you do when the Messiah's parents are 70 miles away, living in a small town, just living, working, having a good old time? 
got to get them there somehow. And so God stirs the heart of a man named Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the world. You need to understand that God is not beyond using strange motives and actions to accomplish his purposes. Go back to the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons who would become one of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, Joseph got to have two tribes named after him, named after his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. But anyways, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him because he was daddy's favorite. He was the young one at the time. He ended up having one younger brother, but at this time he was a young one and his father favored him and, and his father uh, gave him a coat of many colors. Maybe you've heard that story. And, and at one point he told his son, uh, Jacob told Joseph, hey, I want you to go and check on your brothers and see how they're doing. And prior to this, Joseph had had a couple of dreams in which his uh, brother's bales of hay got up and bowed down to his bales of hay. Of course, he understood that his brothers were bowing down to him. Had another dream that the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down to him. His dad even reckoned, what are you what are you talking about, your mom and I and your brothers? Oh, this is just nutty. The brothers hated him because of his dreams. They hated him because he was daddy's special special little boy. And so when he came out there to check on him, they said, you know what? Let's kill this guy. Let's just kill him and be over with us. Once we kill him, let's just see what happens to his dreams. Ah! Sometimes we get really smart, don't we? We're just gonna, we're just gonna cut the thing off. We're just gonna be done with it. And they threw him down in the cistern and they went to have lunch. And while they're eating lunch, letting him starve in the cistern, they see the, this caravan of Ishmaelites heading along. The Ishmaelites were distant relatives. They were heading down to Egypt. They were selling stuff. You know, they made their, their living uh, caravanning along. And one of the brothers says, hey, I got a great idea. Let's not kill him. What are we going to gain if God has been using greed forever? What are we going to gain if we kill him? Besides that, he's our brother. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. He's young. He's strong. He'll get some good money. Then, then we're not guilty of blood. So that's what they did. The Ishmaelites come up. They pull him out of the cistern. They sell him. We don't know how much they sold him for. Sell him, and they take him down to Egypt, and they laugh all the way to the bank. They kept his robe. They dipped it in animal's blood and tell their dad, yeah, this must be your son's. He's probably dead. That's a bummer. Trying to act all sincere. Meanwhile, Joseph heads down to, down to Egypt. He gets sold to Potiphar. Potiphar puts him in charge of his house. Potiphar's wife has a hots for him. He says, no, he's a strong young man. Bible says he's a very good looking, very, very healthy, strong 17-year-old boy. Potiphar's wife is like, come to bed. He's like, no. Oh, come to bed. Bad girl. He says, no, no, no. And I, and I tell you what, what a... What a phenomenal young man. He says, no, no, no. And finally, one day, she traps him. Nobody else in the house. She traps him in the room. She says, come to bed with me. He says, no. And she grabs his, his robe, and he pulls out of the robe, and he runs away. Sometimes you just got to spin and run. Amen? Temptations start knocking on your door. Temptation grabbing you by the... You just spin and run. Get out of there. Don't worry about your robe. You can get another one. And she starts yelling and screaming, oh, rape, rape, he tried to rape me. Potiphar comes home, she makes up this story. He gets thrown into prison. Man, God has used greedy brothers to get him to Egypt. He used a lying, 
bad girl to get him thrown in jail. While he's in jail, the, the, the chief baker and the wine steward get thrown in. They ticked Pharaoh off somehow, something fierce. They get thrown into prison. And one night they both have dreams and, and they're all bummed out about it. Oh, I don't get it. I don't understand. You ever have one of those dreams? You wake up and you're like, what in the world was that? I don't understand. I've had dreams before. I just, what's that? What's that mean? And, and Joseph notices that they're kind of, you know, having a hard day. And he says, what's going on, guys? Oh, well, we both had dreams. We don't get it. We don't understand. We don't understand. There's nobody here that can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, you know what? God interprets dreams. God, give, tell me your dream. And I'll see if God won't give me the answer. So they tell him their, their dreams, and he interprets them one at a time. The, the wine steward, within three days, he's going to be restored to his position and be squeezing grapes, going to be handing wine to the, to the king again. But the baker, in three days, he's going to die. He's going to have his head, head bit. He's going to have his head cut off. Oh, wine steward's all happy. He's glad he didn't take up baking. Baker's kind of bummed out. Three days later, it's Pharaoh's birthday. He pulls them both out, hangs the baker, cuts his head off, whatever, and restores the wine steward. Joseph's only thing that he asked for, you know what, when this happens, because I guarantee it's going to happen, when it happens, tell Pharaoh about me. I don't deserve to be down here. Wine steward must have been taking a few more sips of the wine. He totally forgot goes on his merry way. A couple of years, Joseph is still in prison until finally Pharaoh has a bad dream that he can't figure out. And the wine steward says, oh my goodness, I blew it. There's a guy in jail. I can tell you the meaning of the dream. Joseph is brought before him. He interprets the dream. says, this is what you need to do. There's going to be a great famine in the, in the land that was going to just devastate Egypt and that entire region. You see, you have seven years of plenty, and you can have seven years of want so bad that you forget all about the good. This is what you need to do. And he ran down the list. And Pharaoh said, so you know what? Doesn't seem to be anybody smarter than you. Why don't you be my number two man? Be the right-hand man. The only person that's got more power in this country, or at the time, this world, than you is me. Out of prison. Number two man. Number two man there to rule, there to save, and there to fulfill prophecy or a dream, a couple of dreams that God had given him. But how did, how did it happen? How did he get there? Lion cheating greedy brothers? Lion cheating bad girl? Forgetful prisoners? And a bad dream? God uses some strange ways to position his people for the miraculous. God uses strange ways to position his people where he wants them. In Acts chapter 24, Paul has been thrown into prison and, and Felix was a, was a king there and, and he was freaked out whenever Paul would talk about death and resurrection. He was freaked out when, when Paul would talk about the fact that, that we're all going to stand before the Lord one day. He was freaked out every time he'd talk about Jesus, so he'd throw him back in jail. But it says in, in verses 25 and 26 that, that Felix would call for him regularly. Although it scared him, he'd call for him regularly because he was hoping that Paul would give him a bribe. 
But you know what's happening? Felix is calling for Paul on a regular basis, and Paul is preaching the gospel to him on a regular basis, right until he gets scared half to death and sends him back to jail. Felix doesn't ever get any money, but he sure gets the gospel. Time and time and time again. God will use a person's greed to get you in front of them. He did it for Paul. He'll do it with you. God uses strange ways. And so as we consider that and we look at this and we look at, at Caesar Augustus, and I don't want to put him up as some great believer because he wasn't a believer. In fact, he deemed himself to be a living God. And once he was dead, he was worshiped as a God as they did with the, with the Roman Caesars at the time. He's not a good godly man. But in a sense, he is an unsung hero because God used him, used his greed, used his desire to know how many people he had, whatever it was that motivated him. It was God in the first place that said, you know what? I got my servants. I got to get them to Bethlehem. This is the way it's going to happen. And Jesus fulfilled scripture, fulfilled prophecy by being born in Bethlehem. So I say that, to say, you know, does anybody else get a little bit frustrated with politics these days? Get a little bit tired of all the bickering and all the, well, I'm a better candidate. I have never in my life, and I'm not as old as some, and I'm not as young as others, but I have never seen a political season that started two years before an election. I thought it was bad two elections ago, but my goodness. But let me say this to encourage you. In your frustration... Don't overestimate the government and underestimate the providence of God. God is still alive and well, and he's still on the throne. But no matter who's president, Jesus is king. And his purpose will prevail. And God can use corrupt governments and corrupt politicians, and he can use wars and rumors of wars, and he can use all sorts of horrible things to position you where he needs you to be so that you can be ready to share the word, that you can be ready to live it out before kings and rulers and before the least of these. Don't ever overestimate government and politics while at the same time underestimating the providence of God. He's got a purpose. Let's move on. Chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This next unsung hero, we hear about him, and, and the Bible really doesn't speak to him, it just kind of alleges towards him. But I want to talk about the innkeeper. No name given, and again, you look in Scripture, it, doesn't even, it did not mention an innkeeper here. It just mentioned that there was an inn, and that there was no room for them. And if there was an inn, there had to be an innkeeper, right? Let's just follow common basic sense logic. When all else fails. So you got an innkeeper that may or may not have been Jewish, may or may not have cared anything about God, 
may or may not have been a Gentile. We don't know. All as we know is he's got an inn and it's packed. I mean, business is good for him. Because of this census, business is good. People are coming to town and there's no room. You know, he was under no obligation to show any kind of kindness to anybody. He followed the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule. I mean, it, I'm sure the prices went up. I'm sure everything happened that happens today. But as he stood there and saw Joseph and Mary, her very pregnant, I don't have any room. I got no place for you. I can't, I can't put you, well, we've checked every other place. You know, and, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. Jesus being born in a barn and laid in a manger. That was not part of prophecy. It had not been prophesied that the Messiah would be born in a barn or laid in a manger. It's my own personal opinion. You can, you can argue with me on this if you want. It's my own personal opinion that, that Mary and Joseph just didn't leave Nazareth as quick as they should have. I, I just don't think that they were being real good time stewards. I can imagine Joseph. I mean, I know what it's like to have a pregnant wife and have have a baby coming, and, and you know, you got all this last minute stuff to do. I got to get the got to get the room finished. I got to get this done. I got to you know, I got to get so much work done. I got to put some money aside. And it was even more for them because they didn't. I mean, you don't work, you don't eat back then. I mean, that's that's it. He had to save money, and I can imagine as a as a self employed carpenter, he's looking at at everything he has to do before he takes off. I got to get that last table and chairs done. I got to get that ottoman finished. I got to, you know, fix a few more things, get this place set up. But I, I just wonder if in the back of his mind, he wasn't all, also thinking, and, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that thinks this way sometimes. Is it possible that he was thinking, you know, uh, Mary is pregnant with God's son. I'm pretty sure God's going to have a place lined up for us when we get there. We don't have to worry about it too bad. I mean, we're fulfilling God's will. We're fulfilling his plan. He's going to have a place set up for us. So, you know, we'll check the Hilton when we get there. We'll check the nice places first. Everything's going to go good. I don't know if, you got, if they got a flat on the donkey or what happened, but they get. There's also no mention of a donkey, by the way. Just throwing that in. Um, but they get all the way to Bethlehem. And they start hitting the different ends, the hotels, the motels, and there's no place. And I don't know, I wonder if Joseph had a, had a crisis of faith for a moment. You ever been there? God, I'm doing what you want me to do, but it's not turning out the way I thought it would turn out. God, I'm, I'm, I'm following your will. I thought I was doing the right thing, but it's not happening the way that I thought it would happen. God, I've given up, or I've done this, I've done everything for you, but it's not going my way. Well, I can remember, I can remember when, when we finally agreed to go into ministry and said, oh, you know, I mean, I, we had in our, in our heads, at least I had in my head, how it would work. I was going to finish out my credentialing while working for Boeing, and then I was going to quit Boeing, and, and as soon as I quit, uh, we'd probably take a couple weeks vacation, and then God was going to open up you know, the door in a church, whether it was, you know, a, 
associate pastor, lead pastor, and God was going to open something. I was going to be great. And so I finished all my credentialing work, and I, and I prayed about it, and God said, no, don't quit. Oh, okay, fine. So again, I'm being obedient to God. I didn't quit. Six months later, we get laid off. I got laid off. And I'm thinking, this is awesome, because it gave me six more months of making money, gave me six more months of insurance, gave me all this extra stuff, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get laid off. And then just shortly after that, God's going to open up the door. And we're going to go right into ministry, and it's just going to be awesome. And so I got laid off, and I went home, and I fell out of a treehouse and broke my pelvis in two places. And um, couldn't work. Couldn't do anything. Since I couldn't work, couldn't collect unemployment. Couldn't look for work. And then my bills started coming in. You know, I mean, we still had a house payment, so all this stuff. And I had elected a lump sum payment from Boeing rather than income continuation. Nobody explained to me, if you take a lump sum, they tax another 30% of your income. So all, you know, what, was, what was slated to last about six months, all of a sudden it was going to last about two. I'm like, this is now I had it planned out, Lord. In fact, I can remember sitting in my easy chair because that was about all I could do, sit in my easy chair wind myself about being in pain, look out the window of this beautiful house that we had just built with this big mortgage that I didn't have any money to pay. I looked out the side, we had the front door open, there's an owl sitting up. I thought, wow, that's really cool. Hope he doesn't fly in here. It was huge, but it was cool. And I'm sitting there and then, and then the mail comes in. I start opening it up and bill after bill after bill and little tiny paycheck. I remember getting so frustrated and, and grabbing the mail and slapping it down and saying, you know, God, yes, I want to walk by faith, but I didn't want to do it right now. And then, you know what? Nobody, called, nobody wanted me to come and preach. Nobody wanted me to join their staff. There's no openings anywhere. Nowhere. So I ended up taking a taking a job at a at REI warehouse, and I'm and I'm I'm short. I'm shopping with other people's lists. Basically, I'm pulling stuff that people are buying. And uh, they take me in one day after I don't know however many weeks it was. It was seasonal work. They take me in. And, they, and there's a promise that you do good, we'll keep you. So they take me in. I'm sitting there for my interview, and they said, Yeah, um, just want to let you know, we won't be keeping you. Really? Why is that? Well, you're you're just well, you're too slow. So I was accurate, but I was slow. I'm just not the world's fastest person. On a motorcycle, I can go all right. Used to. Will again. You're too slow. We're not keeping. And and you know, I started looking around at the people that I worked with. I started. I I don't judge me, but I was a little bit judgmental. And I'm looking at these people. I'm like, they didn't even graduate high school. They're like, they're like 18 years old, got tattoos from head to foot, and they and they're just a nutcase. I mean, have you listened to this person talk? They are a nutcase, and you're gonna keep them over me? I am Brandon. 
I was a machinist for 10 years. I am really slow at this job. And I, I can remember, I just, I was out doing the shopping thing. I'm like, this just stinks. It'll be a great Christmas. And, and it was around Christmas time too. And I'm over in a corner and I, I'm, I'm whining. God, this is not what I had planned. What are you, what are you thinking? Nobody wants me. What is going on? And I said, you know what, God, I don't know. Maybe I've just never, ever heard your voice doing everything that I think you want me to do. I, I, I go into ministry. I do this. I do everything you want me to do. And then this, I'm not sure I ever heard you in the first place. I've probably never heard. I probably don't even know what you sound like. Who am I to think that you would want to use a guy like? And as I stood there wallowing in my self-pity and self-righteousness, I had a vision, a, just a boom, of like a month before we had gone deer hunting, and I may have told some of you this story, but we were out deer hunting, and I, I was riding a four-wheeler because I was busted up. It turned out being really fun. Um, but I had my son, he's eight years old, he's on, the, he's on the back of the quad, and I'm riding along, and I thought, oh, this will be fun. I rode up to the edge of a cliff, it was, it was a solid rock, but it rolled over and then just dropped off into a great abyss. It was awesome. It was beautiful. But my son's behind me. He can't see it. All he can see is there's nothing but sky. And as I roll up there, thinking this is going to be great, all of a sudden he just ah, grabs onto me, and I am busting up laughing. Ah, Daddy, you scare me. I say, that's okay. You don't want to be out here? It's okay. Put it in reverse and back down. And God showed me that. Uh, what? What a crazy thought to have. What's this all about? He says, you know, Brandon, you had fun taking your son out there and it scared him. And you would never, ever harm your son. You would never, ever put him in a place of danger. You would never intentionally put him somewhere where he might get hurt. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. I care more about you than you do about your son. And I would never, ever put you in a place where you're going to get hurt. Can you trust me? I'm such an idiot, Lord. I just started weeping. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. And then he began to minister peace to me. You know, some, the whole point of that is sometimes we get so caught up in what we are doing for the Lord, so caught up in patting ourselves on our faithfulness and our sacrifice and our righteousness and things don't go the way that we think it ought to. You're not the one that planned your life. Hello, if you're the one that's planning your life, then you better, you better hand over the reins to the Lord. The Lord is there to lead your life, to plan your life. He knows where he wants you. He knows how he's going to get you there. You just got to follow him. And Joseph and Mary, they thought perhaps that, that if, since they were following the Lord, they were going to get there and have great accommodations. And they got there and there was absolutely nothing because they weren't, they were just assuming. You can't assume with God. You just got to trust God. 
There's no room in the inn, and I'm sure that that was the lowest point that they had been in nine months, just understand they're looking at this innkeeper and the innkeeper says you know what I don't have any rooms but I do have a barn I've got a barn it'll keep you out of the weather keep the rain off you the snow whatever's going on it's, it's fairly warm there's animals in there I know it doesn't smell the best but it's it's fairly warm you can use the straw you make a bed it's, it's comfortable what I have And does that sound similar to maybe Peter and John when they see the lame man? They don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give you. And because that innkeeper was willing to step up and offer them something that, that they had no expectation on, because he was willing to offer them a place, Jesus had a warm place to be born and a manger to be laid in. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 says this, If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. The innkeeper had a willingness. He didn't have much, but he gave it to him. And Jesus affirmed that saying in his own ministry, Matthew 10, 42, listen to this. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. You may not have a lot. The innkeeper didn't have a lot, but Jesus said if you give even a cup of cold water, that's a good thing. So in closing on, on his heroic move, I'd say this, don't fail to be a blessing simply because you don't think you can make a big enough impact. We all want to hit a home run, but sometimes you just got to get up and get on base. Get up and do your best. Don't fail to be a blessing simply because you don't think you can make a big enough impact. Let's move on, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I don't know how long it took them to find him, but boy, they were, they were determined. They were going to find this thing. They were going to see this thing that the Lord had told them about. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Now, these guys, they get a little more airtime than, than some. I mean, we, this isn't the first time we've heard about the shepherds. We hear about them because of the angels appearing and how scared they were and the fact that they took off and went. But, you know, think about this. Historically, those shepherds were not very highly regarded in society. They were the, they were the low lives. They had the menial work that nobody wanted to do and 
They weren't very well-educated. They were simple, solitary, probably smelly shepherds. Nobody cared much about them. Nobody thought much about them. But on the night that Jesus was born, God looked down. And, and looking at Bethlehem, looking at everybody that was in the vicinity that could get there in a short amount of time, God saw the least of these. Said to Gabriel, hey, go wake those shepherds up. Hey, I'm pretty excited about my boy. I'm pretty excited about him coming. I want to spread the word. I want to share the news. You go tell those shepherds. I don't know if Gabriel's, hey, there's other, you know, there's some, there's some innkeepers, there's some wealthy people. No, shepherds, go tell the shepherds. But Lord, they smell bad. That's okay. You're going to be up high. They're down low. Go tell them. And so the angels show up and it freaks them out. You know, it freaks the, the, the shepherds out. Like, ah, what's going on? And hey, don't worry. Don't be afraid. This is good news for you and everybody. And the angel indicated that they ought to go and look. God has revealed something. You need to go check this out for yourself. Let me just stop right there and say, you know, don't take anybody's word about how good God is. Find out for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't believe me because I'm a preacher and a professional. Dig into the word and find out for yourself. God is good. And so he has his angels appear to the shepherds and the, and the angels say, hey, don't take our word for it. You'll find, if you seek, you will find, you'll find the babe wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. In a manger. Now there's a place that a shepherd might be comfortable around a manger. Isn't it kind of neat how God and his providence and his greatness in his awesomeness, omnipotence, omniscience, how he is willing to lay it all aside and lay down in a manger so that the least of these might be comfortable coming to him. We should never get so professional in church that people are uncomfortable coming in. We should never get so high and mighty and so built up in ourselves about how great we are and how much we know that people are uncomfortable talking to us. We should be willing to lay down in a manger if that's, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying you're ever gonna be saved through the world because you're not, neither am I. But if I gotta go out and lay in a field for somebody to come to know Jesus, then show me the field. Hopefully I'll have a shotgun. There'll be ducks or geese, but whatever. I'll do it without that. I didn't hear that, and I think I'm glad. They alone were invited to go and see the baby. And so they went to find him. They, they, think about this. They left everything that they had. The sheep weren't in a pen. They left them out on the hillside. And they said, let's go see this thing that the angels are telling us about. Let's go check this out. And they went, and they were probably annoying a lot of people. Hey, is there any babies in your, in your barn? No, no babies here. Okay, sorry, next one. 
until they found, I mean, there wasn't, the Bible doesn't say anything about a star, there wasn't halos hanging over Mary and Joseph and the baby, you know, Michelangelo, whoever painted those, I mean, neat drawings, but then Jesus wasn't like glowing. They had to find him. But seek and you will find him. They found him laying in a manger and they were just in awe. But it didn't stop there. When they left, they told everybody. They told everybody that they ran into about what they had seen. Not just what they had seen, the Bible says what they heard and they saw. Dude, we heard angels. We saw angels light up the sky. You might think I'm nuts, but we saw angels and then we saw a baby laying in a manger. And this ain't no typical baby, baby. This is the this is the son of the living God, baby. This is the savior of the world, baby. We got to see him. And simple shepherds, we got to see him. Anybody here simple? I don't mean that as an insult. Think about your own testimony. Angelic announcement is cool. That's, that's neat, but your testimony, the evidence of a transformed life. How many of you, once you came to Christ, your life changed? Every believer should be able to raise their hand because, you know, if, if you came to Christ and your life didn't change, i got to be honest, I'm going to question your salvation. I'm going to question the genuineness of that. He didn't come to this world to keep us the same. He came to transform us. And some of us maybe were worse than some. Some of us maybe were, were, we were worse people than other people, if you want to look at it on a sliding scale. But you know what? We've all been changed. When we come to Jesus Christ, we should all be changed. And your own testimony, believe it or not, is more powerful than, something else, than somebody else's. Your own testimony is something that nobody else can take away from you. And it's something you have the opportunity and the responsibility to share. Many of you have heard, probably all of us have heard the story about Peter walking on the water. And it was a good thing that he stepped out when Jesus asked him to, because Peter had you know, kind of dared Jesus to ask him. Well, if it's you, call me and I'll come on out. Okay, Peter, it's me. Come on down. Ooh, okay. But he did. I don't care that he started sinking in the water. He walked on water. I don't care that he started sinking a little bit because when he started sinking a little bit, he yelled out to Jesus, the only one that was able to save him. He didn't call out to, to John or James or Andrew or any of the other guys on the boat. He called out to Jesus who reached down immediately and saved him. I don't care how wet he got. The fact of the matter is there were 11 men sitting in a boat. All they got to talk about was what they saw somebody do. And that's cool. I mean, they saw something cool. But there was one man by the name of Peter that got to talk about what he did and how Jesus reached out for him in his time. Don't ever underestimate the power and the validity of your testimony. You might think, well, my testimony is not that, it's not that cool. It's not that exciting. I, you know, I was born into a Christian home and came to Christ when I was six years old. I mean, whatever. Think of all the things that Jesus saved you from, not out of. That's a powerful testimony. Maybe you lived a horrible, wretched life. 
But Jesus reached, excuse me, reached down. So let me fix that for you. It's a testimony. It's your testimony. Don't ever be afraid to, to tell people about what you've seen and what you've heard and what God has done in you. Look for the opportunities. Church, look for opportunities to share what's been shared with you. In closing, I want to just bring up one more passage. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Maybe I'll look it up so I make sure I don't lie to you. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Paul's not putting anybody down there. He's just saying, think back. Not very many of you were the shining star. Not many of you really stood out in the crowd. Not many of you were, were wealthy beyond reason. The strongest, the fastest, the smartest. But God chose you. God chose you to bless you, to save you that you might be used to win those others. Maybe the others that you've looked up to, they wouldn't listen to the still small voice of the Lord, but they just might listen to you. In closing, you may be unsung, but you can be a hero nonetheless. Not a hero in the sense that Jesus is a hero, but a hero in the sense that you can be the one that leads people to Jesus. Be in the right place at the right time with the right attitude. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer this morning? Lord, again, I'm, I'm honored to be here, be before you and, and your people. And Lord, I'm just so blessed this time of year. Well, I'm blessed all year, but I'm, it's just a blessing this time of year to think about all that you've done. Lord, the love that you demonstrated and that you continue to demonstrate. Lord, as we look today at unsung heroes, people who were just used by you, Caesar had no idea you were using him. He just thought he had a good idea. Lord, you, you used him. 
the innkeeper probably didn't think much about being used by you. But you used him. Lord, the shepherds didn't think too much of themselves, but boy, were they excited once they got over their fear from the angels and the, saw your son lying in that manger. Lord, your word says that they told everyone that they ran into what they saw and what they heard. They don't get an awful lot of playtime, airtime in Scripture. But it's not about them, it's about you. In the same way today, Lord, it's not about us, it's about you. But we want to be faithful. Lord, we want to step out and follow you. We want to be led by you. Lord, we, we don't want to be overcome by fear and frustration, but we want to see your sovereign hand at work. So Lord, this morning as we get ready to leave, I pray your blessing upon your people. Lord, I ask that you would empower and embolden each one of us. Lord, as we have opportunity throughout this day, this week, the rest of this year, to be a blessing, let us step up and do it. Lord, let us see those that don't know you come to know you. Lord, I pray that this would be a great, great season. A season of harvest for your kingdom. Now, Lord, I speak your peace over you, people. Would you go with us as we go today? Bring us back on Wednesday as we celebrate communion, as we celebrate your birth. We'll be quick to give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.